This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. President George Washington began the tradition of presenting the State of the Union speech before Congress each year and the responsibility has passed on to every president after him. President Biden will offer his perspective on the health of the Union in a few weeks' time, and state governors have begun this practice as well, and soon Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer will share her take on the strength of our state and her hopes for the future. I have read many of the State of the Union speeches from our presidents. There are some candid points, quotable quotes, and even some humor in most of them. But none ring truer for our country or our state than the words from President Roosevelt's speech in 1941. FDR shared four goals for the United States and the world. He believed in them worked toward them, and wanted to see every person everywhere experience these four freedoms. The freedom of speech, the freedom to worship, the freedom from poverty, and the freedom from fear. It sure would be awesome to hear that kind of speech today. I believe here at Food First Michigan, we share the hope that all the families that come to us find freedom. Freedom to speak and to be heard, to be seen, as they say in the modern vernacular, and to share the truth about what life is like living under the tyranny of food insecurity. Freedom to find peace and purpose by giving yourself to something that is bigger than you are and lasts longer than you do. Freedom that can only be sought when the mind, the spirit, are free from the toxic stress that is the leftover from being food insecure. Freedom to find that higher, deeper meaning to life and not constantly fight to only survive. Freedom to be self-sufficient and freedom to find both the courage and the confidence to build the life they want. Freedom to find the elusive goal of having enough and discover contentment. Freedom from the fear that robs us because food insecurity isn't just about the lack of access to food. It is also about the lack of access to the things that make life good. Things like opportunity and the vision of a better tomorrow that is only fueled from courage and confidence. This is the free state, the nation of liberty that I want to live in. So today, Jerry and I will take on the responsibility of defining reality and sharing our thoughts on the state of the state as it relates to food security in Michigan. We'll share some of our dreams for the coming days as well. So join us next on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening to Jerry Brisson and myself, Dr. Phil Knight here. Jerry, um, about time for the State of the Union and the State of the State. And uh, I've I've put us on the hook here in the monologue that we're going to try to do that 
for food insecurity here in the Michigan in Michigan and and maybe even define a little bit of what it looks like nationally as well. So um, I, I I'm glad that you're here because you know you're the you're about the smartest guy I know when it comes to this work. So I'm well, interested. my my. <laughs> My experiences, we're usually pretty glad both of us are here, just because <laughs> it's nice to have company in this journey, right? But uh, right. but it's great to be here, Doctor. It's great to see you on our Zoom, you know, on our Zoom session here that we do to record these shows. Now, I will say, I would like freedom from Zoom sessions if I can build on your freedom <laughs> right. analogy, right? And and get back to the, you know, I. You know, and maybe this is just being old and curmudgeonly, but uh, I really do miss seeing people more often. And and even in the in the day to day life, you know, we we just had a, a meeting just the other day to talk about how how do we make sure that people who are only here now a couple days a week and and still feel like the same involvement and the same participation and feeling of family and and everything that you get when you're together you know and when you're apart you can still have that but it's it's challenging so you know the, I, I guess my mind went to boy I'd like freedom from a lot of these challenges that that we have to face but but you know I suppose the good news is we keep working at it and we'll get free of them and and and, and ultimately we want to have you know freedom from as you say the toxic stress and consequences of continuing to have food security especially among families with children and seniors and veterans and a, and a lot of people that we care deeply about so so you know what the state of the state you know there's there's a there's a, a lot we could talk about and like the governor and the president we're going to have to prioritize that a little bit and and cover a few things but uh, but there are some really important things to say about the state of the state of food insecurity I, I agree with you, Jerry, and I thought it was a good good opportunity for us to delve into this together. So let's do just that. And um, I think what I, I'd like for us to talk about first is is the state of the state for food supply. I mean, after all, we're the food banks. <laughs> I'm right. the food bank council, and, and we have seven Feeding America food banks, um, and you're the CEO and president, Gleaners. And, and so we've got, we've got food banks that are covering the state. Our footprint is statewide. And, um, you know, I, 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 I sound like I'm bragging, but I guess maybe I am. But really, you know, a statewide footprint that can not only – source the food but can also distribute the food and that's a pretty unique position to be in in this in this uh sector and also in be able to serve the state at this level but you know if we don't have any food it's really tough to be a food bank <laughs> <laughs> well that's the truth uh and of course we do have food and we still have food and and we have ways to get food that's one of the benefits of partnering with food banks is is the the number of ways that we can find and and make sure that that people that need food have food it's it flies in the face of what we're seeing even in grocery stores again where you have whole product lines that are just gone uh you know it's been really hard to find you know Know, wash those little wash salad you know the bags of salad um, man the right. last couple times I was at the store they were completely gone 
And that doesn't mm -hmm. mean there's none, but there's a lot less. And that's an item that's, you know, healthy and easy to get at and, and what a lot of people are taking advantage of in prep time and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I know I've seen that for myself. There's one particular kind of chili beans that I like that it was three weeks before they showed up in the store. You know, right. so just from my own experience, I know there's been challenges getting all of the products the the meat supply chain is is really really struggling with labor issues and a lot of people getting sick with covid um one version of it or another and right. um and so they they just can't process the the demand out there um and the demand for grocery products is still higher than ever i mean it's there's sure. still an awful lot of people cooking at home i mean you know so so the food supply chain is a complicated system there's a lot to it there's various bottlenecks in the system some of those bottlenecks are are creating even more food waste because there's no way to get the raw material through the manufacturing process and to consumers in a timely way and of course all of it is perishable so that's that's I know a lot a lot to say but but there's a lot of lot of challenges right now there is and you know um, people's buying habits uh, have changed and that puts pressure on the supply chain um, we've experienced that at the beginning of a, the pandemic, and we still uh, see evidence of that now. Food supply, I think, was a vulnerable system prior to the pandemic, and the pandemic really uh, made those those issues in the food supply chain, uh, you know, more easily seen than what they were prior to that. And they're still there. <laughs> they're still there. I mean, it's like dominoes. One system affects the other. You know, when you stop the recycling, there soon becomes a shortage of aluminum. And, uh, and, and, and I think it's important to talk about that um, even though you might see a, on Twitter or on some social media the, the pictures of an empty shelf, there is food. There might be a lack of processing capability. Well, there is a lack of, there is no probably to it, there is a lack of of uh, capability when it comes capacity when it comes to food processing and that that affects not only those of us who are able to go to the grocery store and buy whatever it is that we want and need but it also affects the work of the food banks around the country and specifically here in michigan yeah i think you know again it's it's a complicated system and there's a lot of things to think about um i think the labor issue is a significant one uh there there's stories in the paper pretty much every day about some industry or another where where people are asking for further accommodation whether that's hazard pay or or increased wages or or you know some other um accommodations because of the ongoing pandemic for which the government relief is decreasing rapidly right so right. the expanded child tax credit is going away the the money the extra money that families have been getting from that is stopping you know so so well if you're in a in a low wage job 
that you could barely make ends meet and these things were helping you, well, now you're gonna make a decision about can I afford childcare or do I have to stay home? And, and, and that's the single biggest segment that's not returned to work are people who are staying home to take care of children. Well, those costs are going up too. And that's not right. to blame any specific industry, but it's to say, what is the state of the state? The state of the state is we have a lot of labor challenges. Those are difficult challenges to navigate. There are no simple answers. It takes time to come up with good solutions, but there is urgency. It's happening right now. You saw in Chicago, the whole school system shutting down because teachers were feeling unsafe at work. Well, that's happening intermittently in Michigan, right? So labor shortages, supply shortages, processing shortages, and, you know, I, I hope that when we hear more from our, our uh, government leaders that they can resume consideration for the things that it's going to take to, to keep the community healthy. Um, you know, one of the best uh, tools in our tool bag to help fight the ravages of the pandemic is nourishment. Healthy right. food is critical to how people respond to the to the external things that affect their health. So so again, you know, these are all I mean it's it's not to get not to get too overbearing on on the issue of the food supply chain, but it's critical and I know we want to talk a little bit about practically speaking what does that mean for the USDA food that we've been yeah. getting to. So maybe that we got to take that up in the next segment. Let's pick that up on the other side of this break. That's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Full Knight. Dr. Phil Knight, and we are talking about the state of the state of food insecurity in Michigan. Come back and be with us in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight with Jerry Brisson. The state of the state of food insecurity in Michigan is our topic for the show today. And we're talking about food supply right now. And Jerry, you know, one of the places that has been very helpful through the years has been the United States Department of Agriculture and some of the programs that comes out of that. I know that means a lot to food banks and, and the food that goes out into the community. Oh yeah, you know, there's so much that that happens with the USDA um, that that is just not apparent, but it's really important. It affects us all, and one of the things that they do is work within the food supply chain to find out where there's excesses, maybe because it was an awesome harvest, or maybe because there had to be a, a culling of the chicken herd, or you know, whatever you call chicken flocks, maybe they are. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of surplus chicken. I mean, there's a lot of things. Maybe there's trade things going on, and there that there's too much of one thing and not enough of another mm-hmm. thing. And the USDA plays a role in capturing that food and getting it to food banks. And they've done that for a long, long time. It is part of a big, big, big piece piece of legislation called the Farm Bill. And Mm -hmm. the idea is not just that we're helping people who need food get food, but that we're helping farmers. We believe that our farmers are some of the most important people in our whole way of life, right? We need to eat. We need that food. And if, if that system fails, 
what are we going to do? How would we manage a system where you can't afford to farm? So the Farm Bill puts those things together, support for farmers and farming that includes some support for the food supply chain and for when there's surplus food, moving that food through to places like food banks and the pantries in our network to get it to people that need it to minimize the amount of waste, which has a lot of other impacts as well. It really is an ingenious way of tackling a lot of different problems all at once. So, yeah. so just to lay out, you know, that's, sure. a, that's a big deal. It's, it's, it's usually for us. The food that comes through the USDA systems, and there's a number of them, provides somewhere between 20 and 35% of the food we need. That's, okay. that's, you know, right now, it's less than 10%. So wow. it is significantly less than what it normally is. I mean, we were normalized around that 25% for years and years and years, and then it would go up to 30 and then maybe go down to 20, but it was right in that area. So so fundamentally, the only thing that we can do in, in not getting those um, commodities and other things that we would normally get through the USDA programs, the only thing we could do is is either try to find more food donations on our own, which we've talked a little bit about the Michigan Department of Agriculture helping us a lot with at the beginning of the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. or purchase food, right? Mm -hmm. those, are the, those are the options. And so our costs then go up. And so then we've got to fundraise or the other things we have to do to, to fill those gaps. We can obviously do that for a time. But I mean, again, you know, looking at what it's possible now as the pandemic impact continues is that we're going to reach a breaking point of how much we can meet the need, right? There's eventually going to be higher need than there is available food based on the resources we have, not because there isn't food in the system, but because you've got to find it, either purchase it or at least cover the cost of it, transport it, store it distribute it, and then get it to people. All of that takes resources. And even though we're very efficient, it's not free. And right. so as we adjust to the state of the state, and particularly the state of the state of food insecurity, we're a little concerned about how strapped we're going to be in the coming months as we see need going up and resources going down. And mm. now it's not uncommon at the end of a crisis to see resources going down. What's uncommon is the need going up, right? Mm -hmm. That the crisis isn't over, but a lot of the legislation and other things that were in place to support the community through that crisis are over. So part of the state of the state is a little bleak when it comes to, well, there, there's, still, there's still people that need help for legitimate, you know, very important reasons. The, right. the economy is doing okay in many, many ways, but there are still whole segments of the economy that have not come back, and, and people do need help. And I'll tell you this, when you start seeing schools close, even intermittently, or kids doing things virtual, the impact on families is immediate and traumatic because those kids aren't getting food in school. Why? Right. Well, I think it was Gerald Ford a year 
the the State of the Union after President Nixon resigned opened the State of the Union address and said the State of the Union is it's not good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, that, yeah. that's, the, you know, as we've said before, that's the first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. And that's essentially what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no, there's no, we're not pulling the fire alarm here on food supply. We don't want anybody to be nervous about that. But there are challenges, the vulnerability of the system. And then the practical, this is what happens when, when, when you go from 25% of your source of food down to 10%. You got to make that up somewhere because the need hasn't gone away. And then, as you said, Jerry, and I, I want us to talk just another minute or so about this, that when, when schools close and the impact that has essentially on child care and parents' ability to work, that is a very large segment of the population that uh, there's, you know, some two million women that have not gone back into the workforce because of the issue of, of in uh, of, of schools open and they're closed or closed and they're open and and I, I'm not here to debate the that policy I'm just talking about the practical impact is you can't go to work yeah. if you've got a four-year-old or a six-year-old or an eight-year-old that has to be and and no child care to take care of them because you you they've been going to school then that's that's the practical reality and then a lot of these kids are getting food at school so now that's the even greater burden on the parents and the household to provide food in the house. And you have inflation that's hovering around 8%. And money, I don't care if it's SNAP dollars or it's real dollars, it's just not going as far. Right. And food is one of the areas that it's gone up significantly. And again, part of the reason is market forces, right? Supply and demand. When you have problems on the supply chain, prices go up. And that's just what happens, right? Um, we also haven't had inflation for a long time. And so there's other pent-up demands in the market that are driving some of the inflation that we're seeing. There's probably some opportunism as well. But, but nonetheless, um, we know that inflation is a reality for the people we serve. People are talking about it. Home heating costs are significantly greater. They're significantly mm -hmm. greater, um, uh, you know, roughly averaging 30% higher cost. So, right. so when you see, you know, when you see the, those things compound at the household level, the uncertainty with schools and the reality of what happens when schools close or go virtual, both are, both are challenges, right, that, that create this dynamic. When you see more people sick and and more people not able to go to work for that reason then further tightening the options that schools or communities have for problem solving when you see inflation starting to affect uh you know how much people can buy in a given month well we see more people coming to us for help for all of those reasons and so part of the state of the state in food insecurity is we really do still have a crisis that we're managing and and I think we've got to refocus our attention to okay the, we got to we, we got to get back to understanding how we continue to help families through this time. Well, I've got to close this segment Jerry and here here's the here's a, the state of the state. I'm sick of covid. I'm tired of it. Everybody I know is tired of it. Uh but it's still here. Yeah. And it is a crisis that we have to continue to deal with. We cannot ignore our way out of this. We have to be uh, leaders that define reality. And it is here, and we have to deal with it. 
And we cannot take resources away when, when the need continues to tick up. It's, it just will not work and it can't work. So let's not do that. That's my, that's my big rah-rah, let's not do that. He's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back. You come back and be with us too. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson, the uh, CEO and president of the Gleaners Food Bank in Southeast Michigan, also the president of the board of directors for the Food Bank Council. And as longtime listeners know, I refer to him also as my boss. Which, Which it's is, better than calling me bossy, but it essentially means the same thing. It's a, well, it's a, <laughs> a little delayed reaction there. Normally, I get a, I get a chuckle or a hand signal or something at that poke. But you know, it's been we've we've been we you know Jerry, I've been at the, I just finished my seventh year at the Food Bank Council, and uh, you know, I just marvel at the the. The work and and the work of the food banks that they've done and and are doing and have done in service of this state, um, it's amazing to me. I think I have one of the best jobs on the planet because I get to be the the lead cheerleader for the food banks and uh, how they're making an impact all across the state. Um, but you know this 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 idea of um, of of reach and and this the we talked about the uptick in need across the state that it's not going away um, as the economy struggles to find its new identity so to speak that we've had to really innovate in some areas um, and we're we're testing out some new friends <laughs> new partners uh, certainly you uh, you guys have led the way. Um, broke the path for our relationships into health care. Uh, the Food Bank Council has developed some pilots alongside of you guys and, um, and some of our other members to see how we can reach further into the community, into the people who are food insecure in the community. And that, that one of the big partners has always been education. And we've said for years that that's one of the uh, anchor institutions in the in the state that that we need to partner with and and do that intentionally and and the challenge there are many with partnering with new partners all over and we we love our pantry network we're thankful for them they're the foundation but we need other and different partners to further our reach but education is one of the institutions that win when we do when food security is created they win. They, they get better academic outcome, better attendance, better behavior outcomes. It's pretty exciting. But, you know, they're all their own entities. They're their own schools inside their own school districts, inside, inside, inside. So there's not like one person you can talk to. you got to have a partnership almost down at the ground level, and that's a huge challenge to creating a a partnership that can really impact um, on a statewide level. Well, and when you consider all of the other things that schools have to manage, um, you're just another 
person, right? You're just another system, another thing that people have to do and take care of and account for. And it's important and everybody knows it's important, but we, we are very sympathetic to how many things schools are asked to consider, they're asked to teach, they're asked to include in after-school activities. I mean, certainly everyone is familiar with sports, but but besides sports, you have you know robotics clubs, you have um, you know so many extracurricular activities. The, yeah, theater, band, you know, you know uh, clubs, key club. I love key club, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, so lots of things that that are impacted by the circumstances that we find ourselves living in. And other people that want to make presentations to schools to, to, to talk about all kinds of things from vaccinations to safety and public safety and, you know, bike riding. I mean, I, you know, uh, being, a, being active and healthy. I mean, there's, it's, just, it's just it's a very comprehensive list of things that, that are rightful priorities and where schools can be helpful. And so as we walk along with schools, we want to be very mindful of being as close to a turnkey solution solution as possible, to involve as few people as necessary to get things done so that schools don't have yet another burden. Having said that, um, one of the innovations that we're working hard on is how do we have a real-time data system that we're all connected to so that we can manage school closures and and changes in schools when they don't have enough people to come in and, and make lunch or or when they have whole rafts of teachers that get sick and now and now the school has to adjust to that and and what it's meant is there are sometimes when kids come to school expecting food and aren't getting any um, or they're not coming to school when they were expecting to go to school and get food and so we don't find out from a data perspective about what happened until a month after the fact. Well, most of us can't wait a month to make up a meal. I mean, I'm just saying. Now, if you looked at me, and fortunately on radio you don't have to, you might say <laughs> I could make it a month, but most people can't, right? It's right. too long, and so you say, well, how do we share information in a way that protects the privacy of kids and families, but gives us real-time data to understand when the need happens, what families need groceries right now so they can make it through this change. We're really familiar with snow days, and we've talked about that on the show before. Sure. Certainly when there's snow days, it's obvious nobody got food, but now I'm gonna call them pandemic days. They, mm -hmm. There's more pandemic days this year than snow days, but it's right. the same impact kids and families don't have the food and they need the food and we have the food so how do we exchange information in a way that we can react when this happens and from that learn how to build better and better systems for kids and families i i think that's an important innovation we're starting down the path we have now a uh, information system at our every one of our school mobiles where we know who's coming and how often they're coming and and why they're coming. We're, we're getting more real-time information when we're out there in the field every time we're out there, but we don't have a system-wide school system that can give us that information right away, and I think we've got to be able to do that. we got to have that conversation to build it. So it's an extension of a no-wrong-door uh, solution that we talked about that we we're working on between the Department of Health and Human Services, healthcare, social services, 
community-based organizations like ourselves so that no matter what door a person entered in that was struggling with food insecurity, they were screened. And then the solution, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, oh, here's a number, call them. I think they're open a few hours a week. The, no, here's a box. We're going we're gonna to do this in real time. And, and that might seem like a pipe dream to some, but, you know, again, if you don't dream big, you, you, you'll, you'll never get there. You can't solve a problem you don't believe can be solved, and you can't solve a problem if you don't try. And so you got to start having the conversation somewhere to say, this is the information we need when, okay, no, I don't guess anybody can predict a snow day. Now we're in a pandemic day, or uh, unexpected school closure, I think is the right term, right? Mm -hmm. How could the Department of Education partner with us to, to make sure that people got food that were, that were in extended, unexpected school closure? Why not? Yeah, and when you think about how, how schools um, need funding, to support their food programs and and part of that funding supports the labor required to to prepare meals and things at schools you can't just take that money away those people still have a job they need to be paid they have benefits that need to be paid they have other things that have to happen so you really have to rethink how that funding works so that when you have these intermittent or un, unexpected school closures you have a funding vehicle to make sure those kids and families get food the bottom line is do you want your kids to graduate ready to go to college or ready to go to work or ready to move on with their life do you want them to be healthy emotionally physically and mentally i think the answer is yes 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 but but you can't just say yes <laughs> you gotta pony up somewhere along the line we know yeah, where the, I, we can see the problems one of the things i like that you say doctor is we can't be problem spotters we have to be problem solvers we yep. know what the problem is this is not unsolvable and these are the innovative ideas that we have to be moving forward as we continue to learn how to be most effective that's exactly right, Jerry. I appreciate that very much. I always love it when you quote me, by the way. So we'll give you a chance in the next segment to do it again. Jerry and I will be back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a couple of minutes. up this edition of Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, what is the state of the state when it comes to food security in Michigan? Well, we hit some big priorities on the show today. You know, we talked about food supply and the challenges in the food supply chain that include labor. They also include products. They also include manufacturing capacity. Uh, we didn't talk about all the things going on to address those, but there are things going on and, and there are conversations uh, across the board with the state uh, itself, but also with manufacturers and grocers and everybody else to try to bring resources to solve those problems. There's urgency, but we're working on it, right? 
We also talked about schools and the challenges they're having and what that means for kids and families and some of the innovative things we need to do to work better with schools so that we make sure kids and families never have to go without food. Again, solvable, we can do this, but it is going to take work and so we've got some, some things cut out for us coming up. Um, we also talked about just generally the, the pandemic and people hoping that it's over, but it's not. And the fact that we've got to get our mindset back to, we still have a crisis to manage and we've got to be managing it. We can't ignore it. We've got to get at it. We know we can and we will. But I think those were some of the key things we covered in the state of the state of food insecurity that we need to address, that we are addressing, and we're going to have to keep addressing in the near term and probably in the longer term than we want. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate you very much, my friend. Time for a little food for thought. Perhaps no president before or since John F. Kennedy saw the need, the opportunity, and the necessity associated with hunger. President Kennedy said, food is strength, food is peace, and food is freedom. Powerful words by the president that, that sought to create a worldwide movement against hunger. President Kennedy closed his remarks about hunger by saying in 1963, for the first time in the history of the world, we, do, we have the know-how to produce enough food to feed every man, woman, and child in the world. We have the ability, we have the means, and we have the capacity to eliminate hunger from the face of the earth in our lifetime. We only need the will. Food First is not only changing the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan, we are understanding we have the capacity and the capability to do it, meaning we can solve this challenge. Additionally, we are creating a movement that brings not only the capability, but also the will to do it. We know where to start. We start by putting and keeping food first, folks, food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.